0: The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com.
1: If you're able, please stand in reverence for the reading and hearing of God's holy word. And if you're unable to stand, join us now in lifting your hearts. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated.
0: Thank you, Lisa. Good morning. I'll add my greetings this morning to you and welcome you to Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. I'm Bill McCutcheon, pastor here, and it is good to be with you this morning. You know, as we come today, there's so much going on in the world, and oftentimes we get distracted and we fail to see some of the significance of places, events, and things, and we're just kind of caught up. I was thinking about that uh, this week. I was just mentioning to Chris England who posted a picture of being over at St. Andrews because this week is the, uh, the Open Championship, the British Open, and it's being played at St. Andrews. And I was over there a few years ago and was struck that we're all gonna watch this this week, and you're gonna see the men teeing off and uh, playing golf. The way you don't realize is just a few hundred yards away from the 18th green, is a memorial to our brothers and sisters in Christ who were burned at the stake and killed for their faith of standing as reformers for the gospel of Jesus Christ that we take and we forget about so often. But as you watch that this week, enjoy the golf, but think about just a little ways away, a number of hundreds of years ago, those who fought so that we could have what we have today. The truth of the gospel the beauty of the doctrines of grace, the glory of the scriptures preserved for us uh, that we come and we see and we know these things. Paul was similarly standing in a culture that was killing Christians for what they believed, was trying to... Uh, deceive Christians into thinking that maybe they could take their faith and mix it a little bit with the secularism of the day, with the paganism uh, of the day, uh, to not stand so boldly for Christ. That maybe they could just sort of be with Jesus and sort of be with the world around them. Sounds an awful lot like modern-day America. That we as Christians are not told not to believe what we believe. We're free to believe what we believe. But we're just encouraged not to believe it so adamantly. That maybe we should tone it down a little bit. Maybe water it down a little with what culture considers to be true and right. And Paul wrote these two great letters Letters to the Philippian church and to the Colossian church. If you were looking for them in your Bible, a simple way to remember some of uh, Paul's letters is the General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So we're at the P and the C. We're in the Power Company section this morning. Looking at two prayers that we're going to lay over one another. Because it's fascinating when you consider Paul and his prayer life. What he was most concerned about. And we've been looking at prayer this summer, and we'll continue to look at prayer uh, this summer. And as we engage with it, I hope that it has been challenging to you. Uh, I know that it has been for me, uh, because what it has exposed is an anemic effort on my part to be a man of prayer. I'm studying about prayer, I'm talking a lot about prayer, I'm reading a, a lot about prayer. Uh, But quite honestly, it hasn't radically transformed my prayer life yet, and I keep praying that it will, because what I'm running into is the fact that my prayer life over the years has been shaped and built on a wrong foundation, and what this is doing is pushing me back to the proper foundation of how uh, I need to be engaging with the Lord in prayer, and I hope it's similar for you. But a couple of the things that I've noticed as we are approaching prayer, just by way of introduction uh, this morning, as you are considering prayer, know this, we, we talk in the church and, and we've mentioned different things of theology already uh, this morning and I used language like doctrines of grace and, and Eric mentioned the reformers and it's reformed and, and, and the truth of the scriptures and you go, I don't want theology, I just want Jesus, well, well, friends, there is absolutely no way for me or anyone else to present Christ to you without a theological framework. Now, continuing on that same line of thought and reasoning is this. Your theological framework informs your prayer life. It shapes it. How you view God, how you view yourself, how you understand all of these things, these things shape. How you pray. All prayer presupposes an underlying theology. If you call God, hey, dude, well, that tells you something about your theology of who God is. How you enter into his presence in prayer says something about your view of God. Conversely, our theology will have a decisive influence on our praying. And so consider what you believe Consider the framework that you understand to all things. And then, as you are, where do you go to shape your theology? Well, the primary place for the Christian to go to shape his and her theology is the Scripture. That we come back to Scripture and we've said over and over again if you want to grow in your ability to pray, if you want to grow in the language of your prayer, that's what we're calling this. So we pray the language of God's people. What is the word? What are we using? How are we approaching God in the midst of this? We come and we look at the Scriptures. And one of the places, if we're studying about prayer, we're going to study about uh, the object of our prayer, that we're looking at God and the source of all the power of our prayer, and so we want to learn about him. But then we want to come and we want to study the prayers of the Scripture. And we come and we've already looked at the prayers of Paul in Ephesians, and now we're looking at the prayers of Paul uh, here uh, in Philippians and in Colossians. And if you consider the prayers of Paul, Paul and you look at them, How far are the petitions that we commonly present to God in line with the prayers that Paul would pray? Here's what I would say to do. You can go and cut and paste the prayers of Paul. Take a couple of them that we looked at last week from Ephesians. These two, so you'll have four prayers of Paul. Take them out, look at them, and have them. And then, if you can, in your mind, on a piece of paper, recount the last month's worth of prayers in your own life. Write down the contents of those prayers. Look at them and lay them against one another. Would it be a 20-80? Would 20% of what we pray look like like what Paul prayed? Would 80% of what we pray look like what Paul prays? Are our prayers being informed by the man who wrote most of the new testament had an intimate knowledge of god uh, and understood how to pray much i would think if not all of our praying centers around prayers asking for good health not a bad thing to pray for recovery from illness safety on the road a good job success in exams the emotional needs of our children, success in our mortgage application, and much more of the same. How much of Paul's prayer revolves around those equivalent things? It's a challenge to us. It's a challenge. If the center of our praying, if we did that exercise, and by the way, here's my assumption, not many of you are going to do that exercise. It's too convicting. I've literally started to do that regularly. As I pray, even stopping myself in the middle of praying, going, Bill, what are you doing? Go here. Go here. Because here's the deal. If the center of our praying is far removed from the center of Paul's praying, then we must consider what to do. What influences have led us away to where we are? Because now as we come back to Paul and we look at Paul, There's just a few really elemental principles and elemental things uh, that Paul had in his prayer. We're going to look at those this morning. First is thanksgiving. The second is constancy. The third is a knowledge of God's will. And the fourth is the glory and praise of God. So it's really those four things that we get out of these two prayers in Philippians uh, and in Colossians. The first is Paul prayed with thanksgiving. Paul prayed with thanksgiving he goes I give thanks for you I give thanks for you and the two audiences are uh, fascinating the people in Philippi he knew he started that church he gives I give thanks for you and every remembrance of you I long to be with you again I, I love you I think of you and I'm praying for you but the Colossian church he never met he said, I've heard uh, of who you are. So it's interesting the two different types of people that he prayed for, those whom he knew and those whom he just simply heard of. But he prayed with thanksgiving. I thank my God always for you. There are plenty of things that, we, that he could have chastened the saints at Philippi and Colossae about, but instead he gave thanks to the Lord. He gave thanks to the Lord. Thanksgiving is a lost part of, of a Christian's prayer life by and large we stick with supplication if you use the little acts acronym the adoration confession thanksgiving and supplication every now and then we may do some adoration we'll start with God I thank you for who you are Uh, I'm sorry that I'm not who I uh, should be Uh, thanks for not destroying me now let's get to the meat of the prayer I'm having a bad day, and I need it to get better. I'm lonely, and I'd like to not be lonely. Uh, I got a speeding ticket, and I'd like to get out of it. I need to close this deal. I need to get out of the deal that's about to close. So, God, we need to get these things done. And then what you find oftentimes it's amazing. God answers your prayers, doesn't it? Has anybody experienced an answer to God's prayer in your life? Praise God. That's awesome. Lisa and I this week had been praying intently about some things in our lives and in our church and in our marriage and in our family. I mean, it was with incredible white-hot intensity that we'd been praying for this. And we saw the Lord answering those prayers, most especially on Thursday. I came home and I was like, Lisa, this is amazing. Look at how God has done these things. And we woke up Friday morning and we found ourselves worried that maybe God was going to go back. And I thought, Man, Bill, Lisa, give thanks to God. I mean, we literally stopped on Friday morning, paused what we were doing in the midst of our cup of coffee, and said, no, we are going to give thanks to the Lord for what he has done, for who he is, for all the glory that is due in his name. Paul began with thanksgiving. For, for you, begin with thanksgiving. God, I just give you Thanks. And if you can't think of anything to give him thanks for, let me help you start here. Lord, thank you that I even have the ability to speak to you. Thank you that I haven't been destroyed. Thank you that I'm considered a son or daughter of yours. Thank you that I wasn't born uh, in outer Mongolia in the 5th century where I never would have heard the gospel. But I was born in this day and in this age within the context of the family that I, within which I was born that I heard the gospel And that you, by your incredible mercy, have called me to yourself. And that I know this, that Jesus Christ will not lose me. Even though I feel lost at moments and my heart is not right, I give you thanks for the salvation that is mine in Christ Jesus. Start there, if you can't think of anything else to give thanks for. Paul said, give thanks. The second thing Paul did, he prayed with constancy. He prayed with constancy. You see this in Colossians 1, 9. He says, I prayed and we have not ceased to pray for you. We have not ceased to pray for you. Uh, There are some things in prayer that must be prayed with great repetition. There are some things in prayer that must be prayed with incredible repetition. And Paul was going, I pray for this over and over and over again. For instance, how many of you have prayed within your life uh, that God would make you more holy, that you would be sanctified more and look more and more like him? If you'd be the rest of you, add that to your prayer life. If you're wondering why maybe nothing's happening, that might be an issue. You never asked for it. God, I'd like you, but I'd like to stay me. No. God, make me more like you. And you pray it, and then you leave it alone for six months. No, no, no. That's a prayer that has to be prayed with incredible constancy. God, today, make me more like you. God, as I walk into this meeting, make me more like you. God, as I do this thing right now, make me more like you. As I go to bed tonight, may my thoughts be those that make me more like you. As I wake in the morning, make me more like you. Pray and pray. Parents, be praying for your children that the Lord would draw them to himself. Constantly. And overwhelming, you didn't just pray for your kid once and go, okay, it's good, I prayed for him. You pray constantly and regularly. We need some of God's blessings constantly. And our prayer life should reflect that. Notice also what Paul prays constantly for here. He is not interceding for the saints in Philippi and in Colossae because there's barriers to their growth right now. They are growing. He says, I give thanks for you because I hear of your growth. He says, now I want you to keep growing. So when you see something starting to happen, keep going. You don't see a seed germinate and come out of the ground and then stop watering it. You continually tend it and you continue to water and fertilize it. It's the same way here that we pray when we begin to see the growth. So there is a thanksgiving and there is a constancy in our prayer life. Now the fascinating part of Paul's prayer. Look at what Paul prayed for. Paul prayed in both of these prayers knowing that these letters were going to go in a circular fashion to every church uh, that was in Philippi and all of the area of Asia Minor and throughout what is modern-day Turkey and all of this being copied and sent around. And he was saying, I'm praying for you two specific churches and the folks there, but I also want everybody else to know what I'm praying for and the most important things that you can see developed in your life. Have you ever wondered what God wants to see more than anything else developed in your life? Have you ever considered that? here's what it is, and Paul says, here's what I'm praying for, that you would increase in the knowledge of the will of God, period. Drop the pen. I want you to grow and to increase in the knowledge of God's will for your life. And you're going, yes! I've been wondering what the will of God is for my life. Oh, this is awesome, Paul is stepping in uh, to the subjective uh, of my world. What's your will, God? No, that's not. Paul is saying, and it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with the knowledge and all discernment. And then in Colossians 1.9, asking that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will, which consists of spiritual wisdom and understanding. What do we mean by the will of God? That's where we have to begin with. What do we mean by the will of God? We are inclined to think merely in terms of who we should marry or a vocational choice or a school choice. I find it fascinating. I'm a sports fan, and I watch and follow how these young men at 17, 18 years old uh, and women are choosing the schools of their choice, uh, and they've got this school and that school all wanting them to play football or basketball. And inevitably, those who have any sort of Judeo-Christian background go, well, I prayed about it and know that God wants me to go to North Carolina, which he wants everybody to go to the University of North Carolina uh, to play. It doesn't pay the best. Those are SEC schools, Uh, but he does. And they go, it's so subjective of God's will must mean who do I marry, where do I go to school, do I turn left or do I turn right? And those are important and good things, but they're dangerous things because they can lead us to consider the will of God in relationship to my needs only. What is the will of God in my self-referenced frame of how I understand the world. Therefore, God's will needs to point me in the right direction. It is dangerous to consider it solely in these terms as well because it removes the dominant ways in which the Bible speaks of God's will. Notice that the Bible rarely speaks of God's will in the same way that we do. The Bible speaks of God's will like this. Psalm one forty three ten, Teach me to do your will. For you are my God, Romans twelve two. do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, Ephesians 5, be very careful on how you live, do not be foolish, but understand the Lord's will. These passages don't ask for us to find out God's will, but they assume we already know it. They assume we know his will and that we should begin to live according to it. Notice what the psalmist said. He didn't say, teach me your will. He said, teach me to do your will. Because you see, uh, Paul writing further in Thessalonians 4, he said, if you want to know God's will, here's what it is. It is God's will that you be sanctified. If you're wondering what God's will is for your life, and you went, I'm going to go to church today and see uh, if I can find out God's will for my life. Here's God's will for your life based on God's holy and errant word that you would be holy and you'd look an awful lot like Jesus. You go, well, I don't like that one. Okay, let's try a different one. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you. This week, how did you do on that one? I didn't do really well. In all circumstances, give thanks. People come to my office regularly and they usually talk about this, that, or the other. And they say, I don't know what God wants me to do. And very often we begin here. Here's what we do know God wants you to do He wants you to give thanks, He wants you to pray. He wants you to seek him and be like him. And the place that we find these, my friends, is in the scriptures. The will of God is clearly discernible here. Don't start with baptism. Don't start with Calvinism versus Arminianism. Don't start with the things in which the churches have been embroiled over the years with difficulty. Start with the incredibly clear passages like the two that I just gave you. What's the will of the Lord? The will of the Lord are these things. The reason why the church, I believe, including, I would say, because we, as Hilton Head Presbyterian Church, are part of the overall church, uh, we would fall into some of these categories. Did you realize that a Gallup poll this year showed that 20% of Americans, only 20% of Americans, believe that the Bible is the Word of God? That shouldn't surprise you. We live, but yet we still hold that we're a Christian nation. My friends, a Christian nation would have that inverted, that 80% of the population would say that it is the very word of God. We live in a country where 20% uh, and would say it's the word of God. And you go, yeah, but what about Christians? Okay, you want some shocking numbers from the Gallup poll? Only 30% of Protestants believe that the Bible is the inspired, infallible word of God. That means 70% of you in here don't. You want an even more shocking statement? Only 15% of Roman Catholics do. The church has been gutted of the very place and the belief in the place and the confidence in the place that gives us the will of God. And for many of you, you are going and you're wondering, what's the will of God? And by the way, this is Bill McCutcheon, preacher, stepping on my soapbox for a moment. If you are going to Jesus Calling, my friends, you're going to a wrong source. Go here. Don't go to a woman who says that Jesus told her something about the word. Go to the word that Jesus spoke because what you'll find in Jesus' calling, by the way, is it changes with each new addition. And if you have it on your shelf, please don't give it away, just get rid of it. And then replace it by going, I want to go to the very Word of God. And I want to look here and go, what is your will? It's this? Oh, my? I don't care what somebody thinks Jesus told them about it. I want to know what Jesus thinks about it in Paul thinks about it. Some of you are going, now now you've upset me. I like the Jesus calling. Well, friends, that's my role in your life is to help point you to truth, and that's not truth. Truth is truth, and the word of God is truth. And so what Paul is praying is for this increasing and clear knowledge of God's will so that... Notice that he uses that language over and over here. So that. It is not a knowledge as an end in itself. It is not a knowledge. And that is our tradition as Presbyterians and Reformed Christians. Uh, That is so much of the intellectual uh, bent that we have. That we love to have knowledge of God's will. And knowledge of God's word. And knowledge of who he is. But Paul says, so that. This knowledge... This knowledge that these poor Christians here uh, in Philippi and Colossae were getting hammered with syncretism. They were getting hammered with paganism. Uh, They were being tricked and deceived uh, by other pastors in in wolves and sheep's clothing. Uh, And they were coming and they were being confused and it was all new. And Paul was going, no, here, I want you to know God's will. Why? So that you would have spiritual wisdom? This is just straight from, if you're wondering, where did Bill get these things? It's just here. I didn't have to be that creative this week. He said, I want you to know God's will, and I want you to understand it in this way, so that you will have spiritual wisdom, understanding, knowledge, discernment, in order to approve what is excellent and best. God is saying, go to his word. For these things, that you would grow in your understanding of them, that you would have spiritual wisdom, that you would know how to discern what is right and what is wrong, that you would have a deeper and more profound understanding of who God is and how He views us and how He views uh, the world. Your general knowledge of things would just grow. You know these things because you know these things. You've studied them, and they became a a part of you. And he says, so that you can approve what is excellent or best. The scholars who interpret the Greek differ on this. Some say, oh, that's to approve uh, the things that differ or to approve superior things. But here's the reality in that. There are countless decisions in life uh, that are not a question of making a straightforward decision between right and wrong. I go back to this example regularly. Lisa Clary, Lisa Burns Clary, I have looked and in the 66 books of the scripture, I haven't found her name. But when I met her in the fall of 1990, she would say we met in September, I would say we met in October, uh, doesn't matter. And then all of a sudden I realized, I think I'd like to marry this woman. And I found that out after four whole weeks. We got engaged four weeks after our first date. And I remember going and asking my pastor, should I marry Lisa? And he goes, I don't know. I said, what do you mean you don't know? You're my pastor. What what do you think God's will is for my life in this? He said, Bill, go read the scriptures. I was like, she's not in them. He goes, go read the scriptures. And in your reading of the scriptures, discern the type of woman that a man who is pursuing Christ as his Lord and Savior, who is a follower of Christ, who is a kingdom of the citizenship and a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, what type of woman should he marry? I said, oh, I've done that. He goes, how did Lisa rank? She's not here, and so I'll say. Ten out of ten. And you know what wasn't in there? The list of things that the guy before me had given her. I like you because of your long, dark hair. I like you because of your white teeth. I like you because of your clear complexion. I looked and went, you know what? Those are all wonderful things, but I know this. Cancer could come and ravage you. And all that would be lost. But what I know from the scriptures to be able to discern and to approve what is excellent and best is this. You're pursuing Christ, too. And you love him. And you want to be involved in ministry. And you want to do this. Let's do this thing. And people ask, Bill, how do you know? How did you know? It's like, was there risk? Sure. But none, really. Because as we come and we look and we take these things back to God's word and we ask for clarity and discernment, what we find is God says, This is really what's best and excellent. Now you just have to decide whether or not to do it. There's choices behind all of it, and we have to choose whether to do it or not. But one thing that is removed is this. I think it's the quote that I put in the front of the bulletin for you, which I hope you do look at those things every now and then. Um. D.A. Carson, who wrote a wonderful book on the prayers of Paul and prayer in general, He wrote this, he said, What is immediately clear from Paul's prayer is that it spells the death of entrenched mediocrity, of smug self-satisfaction, of contentment with our own excuses. Paul prays for what is excellent. Paul is going, God, I want your very best. And I want the Christians who are growing in their knowledge of your will to know what's best and what is excellent in that. And he then says, so that, it's another so that, In verse uh, 10 of Colossians, he says, I want you to know the will of God. I want you to understand more deeply and more profoundly who God is, what he believes, what his will is for our lives. Here's the reason why. You want to know the reason why? You've been hanging on for it, going, okay, why do I need to know all of this stuff? You're not going to like it, though. Verse 110, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Friends, we can't get away from holiness within the church. We can't get away from Christian piety, from biblical sanctification, from the fact that for a Christian we are to live an exemplary life that flees from the things which are of the kingdom of darkness and flee towards the things which are of the kingdom of light and to do everything as the great Puritan John Owen said to be about killing sin because if you're not, it will be about killing you. That we want to walk in a manner of the Lord so that we can please the Lord in every way. Colossians 1.10. How many ways do we want to please the Lord? Every way. Some mornings we want to wake up and go, God, can we just go for seven today? Seven out of ten? Can I just please you in seven out of ten? I'd like to keep these three for myself because ten out of ten seems too high. Paul said, no, we want to pray, please the Lord in every way. Then again in Philippians 1.10, he says we want to be pure and blameless. Pure and blameless. How is that prayer for you this morning? God, as I wake this morning, would I be pure and blameless? Maybe for some of you it should be the prayer that you have before you go to bed. Father, even as I cannot control the thoughts of my mind, I ask that your spirit would come and envelop my mind, even in its subconscious, that the dreams that I have tonight would be pure and blameless and bring glory and honor into your name. For a Christian says he takes everything under consideration. And he says that we want to be pure and blameless And he ties in this eschatological view, this big word that means the end of times. He says, you want to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Begin to live now like we're going to live for the rest of eternity. For some of us, we think, and we live in this way, this is the only fun we're really going to have, so I'm going to get it out of the way. I'm going to repent a lot, and then one day I can be holy. Paul would go, I don't understand you at all. He says, you're going to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord that pleases him in every way, is pure and blameless, is filled with the fruit of righteousness that is bearing fruit in every good work. That's bearing fruit in every good work. How many of you would say that you want your life as a follower of Jesus Christ to be fruitful and meaningful in your life? Man, amen. Paul is saying, well, the manner in which you live has something to do with that. If you want a fruitful life, begin to live according to the very word and will of God in your life. Now, note uh, a note on these four things that I just said to you. Christians are saved by grace alone through faith alone. I'm not saying if you do these, you're saved. Hear me clearly. Some of you are coming out of church backgrounds where you are laid upon you a moral code that says, if you do these things, God will love you. Friends, no, the motivation for us doing any of these things is because we're already loved by God. And because of that, we look at him and go, I want to live in a way that's worthy of the high calling that I've been given of the name of Jesus Christ that is now my name. So we are saved by grace, but God's free grace in our lives has an incredible purpose, an irreducible purpose. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. I've never gotten an amen on that one. (laughs) Ever. Whoa, 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 no, 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 no. I am created in Christ Jesus. I am given this new life in Christ to be happy. Then be like, amen. To make a lot of money, amen, to not have cancer, amen. No, he says you're done to goo, do do, do blah, blah, blah. To do good works. Interestingly enough, thank you. Which God prepared beforehand for you to walk in. You don't have to figure them out. This is Christianity 101 for dummies. God, I don't know what your good works are. Oh, here it is. Be kind. I don't know what your good works are. Be hospitable. Say hello to folks. Love them. Sacrifice for them. Don't let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but that which glorifies and brings honor to the Lord. Don't get drunk. Don't have sex outside of marriage. All these things. You're going, Ah, oh, this is great. They're all right there for me. That's what he said. And then he says, so you can increase in the knowledge of God. And you're going, but didn't he say, I want you to increase in the knowledge of God. And now he's saying, increase in the knowledge of God through the increasing of the knowledge of God. It seems like a circular argument. But Paul knows this, that we must discover more and more of God's will in order to obey it. And discovering more and more of God's will is contingent on obeying his will. If we're just living in stark disobedience to God, do not expect God of the universe to keep showing you the beauty of following him. And then be strengthened with all power. And I'll wrap up here. Paul is saying, I want you to do all of these things. This is what I'm praying for you. And here's the ultimate purpose of all of these. It's in Philippians 1.11. I pray all of these prayers, and my desire is for you to grow in these ways in the knowledge of God, that you would follow God in your life more to the praise and glory of his name. It's not about us. If you have been thinking that your story is small, my friends, your story is large. How you live, how you live this life points to something so far beyond yourself that has such eternal weight and glory. We say in our tradition, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever." John Piper changes it just a little. He says, we want to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Behind all of these choices that we make as we consider them, ask this question. Would what I'm about to do, would what I'm about to say, would what I'm about to think, would what I'm about to feel, would what I'm about, whatever it is, would it have been glory and honor to the name of Jesus? And if you have to pause to figure it out, probably best not to do it. You ever been around somebody who says, you know, I probably shouldn't say this, but... What you should say to that person is, go with your gut. (laughs) It's the same way in Christianity. Not exactly sure, but I'm really not sure that I should do this. Well, you know, for safety fact, maybe you shouldn't do it. The things that are clear are clear. So, friends, as you pray today, and you pray, just grab these two prayers from Ephesians and these two prayers from Philippians and Colossians, and just pray them exclusively for the next week, for your life and for those who are around you, and even for those you don't know. But pray those this week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word and the challenge of it. For some. This is so incredibly unsatisfying because ultimately you say "I want you want us to know you more so that we can obey you more. This doesn't seem satisfying until we realize that we were created and designed and we find our life in you. That the greatest good for us is to do the will of our Father who is in heaven. That our greatest glory is your greatest glory. That you're the one who made us and shaped us and formed us. And Father, we're not left in this world without a rudder or without an anchor. We are given you through your word by Christ and his spirit. That we can know you and obey you and love you and follow you. Father, convict us, encourage us, strengthen us. And any who are here who've been wondering where the will of God is for their life, and yet they don't know you, Father, would you speak very clearly that your will for their life is they would bend the knee today. They would humble themselves, confess their sins, receive Christ and his forgiveness, and become a child of the King today. And then figure out from there, through his word, your word, what it looks like today and tomorrow. We give you praise in Christ's name. Amen.